Remain standing for the reading of today's gospel lesson. From Matthew chapter 22, listen for the word of the Lord. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. You got it. Oh, y'all can keep singing it. Come on. Yes. Whew. Dion Warwick sings that song. Those verses say there are mountains and hillsides enough to climb, there are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last till the end of time. There are cornfields and wheat fields enough to grow. There are sunbeams, moonbeams enough to shine. Oh, listen, Lord, if you want to know, sing it again. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. So good. Do you want to swap jobs someday? <laughs> you know, had that song in my head. I've had Jesus's words in my head. I've, I've had the, the last line of the choir's anthem, no more a stranger, but like a child at home. I, I hope you picked up on that. What the world needs now is, is love. Since we last met, more missiles have been launched, more children have not been in their homes but have become refugees if they're lucky. Many have been killed, neighborhoods destroyed. There's a lot more players involved in the Middle East right now. Hospitals bombed, food, water, electricity denied. And in our own country, another mass shooting. 18 families and a community picking up the pieces, many of whom are in church churches right now asking that question why, trying to put their finger on on just what happened. Together, worship gives us this space, whether we're in person or whether we're somewhere around the world online, we gather uh, today with fear and with anger, uh, uh, these unspeakable acts against humanity, by humanity, our hearts are, are overwhelmed, and, and all we can do when words uh, fall short sometimes is just sing that what the world needs now is love. What the world needs now is, is love and hope. 
that hope to which we cling so tightly, like a child clinging to a blanket on a cold winter's night. What the world needs is sweet love, but also bold love. Not inanimate love, or passive love, or fluffy love, but actionable love. Love is a verb. Love does the hard work. The hard work of loving unlovable actions and loving people we deem unlovable, even ourselves at times. Love does the hard work of saying God has a better plan for this world and we as the people of God get to be the answer to the prayers of others. So what will we do? What will you do to remind this world of the power of love? Because how we respond to hate, how we respond to hate through love determines the depth of our, our calling. Uh, Richard Rohr reminds us that there's not a pathway to peace, that peace is the pathway, and there's not a pathway to love except by practicing love. What the world needs now is love, unconditional love, radical love of friends and foes, strangers and family. It's through the power of love we get to be the way God responds to hatred and anger and negativity. Because when we reduce love to an emotion that we feel, it begins to wither. Love, by design from God, is, is an action. Love gives boldly and forgives radically. Love serves all people, and it deserves the highest place at your core as a value. And, and maybe that's why Jesus answered the lawyer the way that he did, to show us this is what lies at God's core. It wasn't power, but powerlessness. It wasn't control, it was release. It wasn't money, it was generosity. It wasn't self-seeking pride, but pride in the name of love. And Jesus, he had this way about him, this, this charisma in the best possible sense. He attracted inquiring minds, and he called multitudes to a meal, and he intrigued politicians and religious leaders, and he angered so many who were in positions of power. And I think that's why uh, I just envisioned this lawyer being pushed forward by those who were so upset and say, ask him the question. Trick him. Set the trap. Set the snare. Put the bait out there for him. He'll take it. To which all of us uh, hearing this and even bystanders are saying, don't do it. Don't break, break him out into lesser and greater laws of Torah. They've just asked you about taxes. They've just asked you about resurrection. They're going to give you the genealogy quiz. Don't fall into the trap, Lord. How would you answer the question? Of all the 613 laws in Torah, which one is the greatest? 613 sounds like a lot until, you know, you see how, how tall the Alabama tax code or the Constitution actually is, right? Which one, which one single law is the most important? 
I, I've wondered if the lawyer had something in mind. Surely, surely Jesus would go through the, the litany of don'ts and highlight one of those above the other. Don't, uh, don't yoke different kinds of animals. Don't uh, wear clothes that are poly-blended and poly-colored, and that just rules out all of us automatically, right? Don't plant more than one thing in a field at a time. Well, sorry, sunflowers and corn, y'all can't live together anymore. Maybe he would have said, you know, don't eat the catfish and the shrimp. And that really starts stepping on all of our toes here in the South. You know, we like it fried and brown. Well, what about the more personal stuff? Surely Jesus would have lifted up one of the commandments about the poor and being unable to support him or herself. And you treat that person as you would a stranger at a foreigner. You, you welcome them into your home and you take care of them. Or don't mistreat the immigrants or care for the widows and orphans. I, I can see that starting to rise to the surface as, as one of the greaters uh, 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 emerging from some of the lessers. Or, or when someone, this is Southern hospitality, this is a Torah law from Southern Israel, when someone older than you enters a room, you stand for your elder, right? I wish that Jesus had said something about Leviticus 19.16. Do not slander your brother or your sister publicly. That would be nice. These are a few within Torah. How do we boil it down? How do we avoid the trap of greater and, and lesser value? Jesus said, all of the law, all the prophets, meaning the entire Hebrew Bible, it comes down to two things that are inseparable. Love God, love people. Everything else must be filtered through these. Fight over the poly blends and the fried catfish and farming and anything else that unsettles you. But if it does not fit the formula of loving God and loving people, it's not the greatest. Who can argue with that, right? All of us, actually. <laughs> We prefer to love God on our own time and at our own convenience. We prefer to love people who are like us and will only love us back in the way we want to be loved. We are so much better at loving God and people on our terms of comfortability. And, and what I mean by that is we love to love what we can control. But as Dr. King reminds us, do not underestimate the power of love. We must discover the power of love, he says, the redemptive power of love. And when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world, for love is the only way. We see the power of love when we fall in love. We see the power of love when two parties are actually willing to do the hard work of mending fences and forgiving. We, we see the power of love in interventions that are grueling, but redemptive on the other side. We, we see the power of God's love for us when we pull our, our heads out of our phones long enough to just look up and look out at this amazing gift called creation. We see the power of love in speaking truth and also knowing when to remain silent and knowing when to stand and, and speak and knowing when to sit and and pray, and knowing when uh, to give money and when to volunteer our time. It's the greatest commandment. It's the, it's the both-endness. I, I witnessed the power of love last Thursday at the Hope Inspired Ministries banquet 
uh, downtown. John Bowman has spoken here during this, this season. He's one of our chief community partners. And the stories of transformation are precisely stories of the power of love. Now, it's her, her story to tell, and maybe, maybe someday soon I'll have her here. But Angelicia served 25 years in prison for being a passenger in her car when a crime was committed. 25 years of her life. And so when, when she gets out of prison, starts picking the pieces back up, she doesn't have any resentment. She just needs to move, move her life forward. So she goes to get an ID, right? Just a standard ID. It's easy for us to do. We walk down there, we get an ID. She gets down there, and uh, they say, well, where's your Social Security card? I don't have a Social Security card. We have to have a Social Security card to get an ID. So she goes to the Social Security office. I need a Social Security card. Okay, well, where's your ID? Back and forth. Well, I can't, I can't get my ID without Social Security. I can't get my Social Security without ID. What do I do? Finally, she catches a break from someone who had a heart. She said, Lord, if you'll make this happen, I'll do whatever you want. I'll open the Bible, and wherever I put my finger, I'll do it. Have you ever done that? She opened the Bible, and there's a Hope Inspired Ministries card. She gets a job. She begins working. That's the power of love transforming lives in our community. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of what's happening at Friendship Mission with Tara Davis, who will speak here in two weeks. It's the same thing happening with Pastor Ken at Mercy House and Fred and Anthony down at Valiant Cross and Richard Williams at the Beacon Center and at Metropolitan. Our, our friends are watching online. They watch every single week with us. And the thing is, when, when we support this church, we support the hard work of love, loving children back to life, loving poverty away for good, loving people from the streets whom we over love your neighbor as yourself. Do you pick up on that? Self-care is not a sin. It's hard to pour ourselves out for, for others, hard to pour ourselves out to God if we're not taking care of our, our own minds and bodies and souls. Love God and love people. We talk about it frequently around here. It's really a high calling for the church to love God and to love people and to love self. We get so caught up on the fear and the hate and, and all of the, the headlines that, that really just paralyze us and keep us, you know, these blinders and we become a little bit parochial and we start focusing on ourselves when we do that. We don't know what to do, and I get that too. How do we change the world? How do we, how do, we do what we need to do in terms of loving the world, aligning ourselves with this, when there's so much? We change the world one life at a time. That's how. Uh, Bishop Curry preached at the royal wedding for Harry and Meghan a few years ago. I'm on a first-name basis with them. I don't know if y'all knew that again. Harry, Harry and Meghan, just make sure you knew that. Right. And I remember that, that homily so, so vividly. I want to share some of it with you today. I think he's going on to write a book about it. But he says, imagine our homes and families where love is the way. Imagine neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine business and commerce where love is the way. Imagine this tired old world where love is the way. When love is the way, unselfish and sacrificial and redemptive, when love is the way, then no child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. Do you believe that? 
When love is the way, justice will roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When love is the way, poverty will become history. Do you believe that? When love is the way, the earth will be our sanctuary, and we will lay down swords and shields by the riverside, and we will study war no more. When love is the way, there's plenty of room, plenty of good room for all God's children. Because when love is the way, we actually treat each other as if we are the family that we are. When love is the way, when we know that God is the source of all, then we're brothers and sisters. That means we're children of the same God. And when brothers and sisters act that way and love that way, that's when the new heaven and the new earth and the new world and the new human family begin to form. Love is our mission. It's our only mission. It requires courage and action and trust and selflessness and this undying belief that God is using us to make all things new in this world. Despite our best efforts to control God, God's love, love will win. It always wins and it always finds a way. For some of you, love and stewardship might be an odd pairing. And I get that. I believe they are inextricable because to love God and to love others, to love self, requires some generosity. It requires modeling ourselves after God's generosity, which was unfounded, unprecedented love. We read about it in the, in the verse that's held up at every football stadium. John 3.16. God so loved the world that he what? Gave. That's an act of generosity. God at creation gave it to us and said, hold dominion, have dominion over. So to love like God means we express gratitude in return by loving others and holding ourselves in common as we have been loved I do believe that forgiveness is the highest expression of love. I do believe that. Forgiveness of self, forgiveness of others. But right next to it has to be generosity. That Jesus giving himself for this world redemptively in some act of love that makes no sense to any of us said, Father, forgive them. They just don't know yet that love is the way. That love will conquer this violence. That it will overcome all things. It's power. It denies death's victory. And all we're asking in return is to love. I guess the question with which I'll be wrestling over the next few weeks, and I hope you will too, is does God know and will others know that we are loved by God based on our generosity? Because what the world needs now is love, sweet love, but outward signs of that love and the power of love because the church is willing to stand together, to give together, to serve together, and to rise together. Henry Miller, whom I love, he said, uh, the one thing we can never get enough of is love. And the one thing we can never give enough of is love. And we like to sing the song, they will know that we are Christians by our what? Yeah, not by our denominations or our ideas or our factions or programs or status or resume or portfolios or, or families or diplomas on the wall. I have three of them. 
Nobody knows I'm a Christian by those framed pieces. They will know that we are Christians by our love. What I want you to hear is that you can have actions without love, but you cannot have love without actions. We get to be the change we want to see in this world. And the hard work of love's power begins knowing that you are loved and that every person is a child loved by God. So we're going we're to take those steps this morning because to love in that way is release. It's not gripping, it's not control, it's, it's release. We don't do well with that. So what I want you to do right now is something we've done a couple of times here before, and that is I just want, I want, you, to take, I want you to take your fists. Our, our mission as United Methodists is open hearts, open minds, open doors. I'm going to add one. If you'll tell you know, the bishops and the general conference and all, just tell them I'm adding one. But I want you to take your fists and I want you to begin, a, begin praying right now and think, what is it to which I cling so tightly that I'm missing out on God's love by not letting it go? Maybe it's the, the shame and guilt of the past or maybe it's anger, jealousy, some form of, of resentment, some hurt. Maybe it's significant some kind of addiction or abuse or, or something that's, that's binding you. Maybe it's fear about the future. What is it that if we don't give it to God, we don't receive love? This isn't a posture of love. It never is. Fists are for clenching and for fighting. The way of the cross is open hands. The way of, of giving is open hands. The way of loving one another is shaking hands. Let's pray together in this way. Lord, we cling to so much so tightly Sometimes we lose sight that it's controlling us. We fear what we don't know. We resist what we can't control. We love to love what we can control. But you have given so freely to us, in spite of us. So I pray, Lord, that as a congregation, we would begin to, even now in this moment, physically release whatever it is that binds us, whatever it is about which we want to fight or cling. And we stand open palms in your presence this morning, asking to be redeemed, to be healed, asking for another opportunity to give as you have so generously given to us. Bless us as a church family, Lord, as we work so hard to love and to remain on mission. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let the church say,
Amen.